We're delighted to have, I always keep wanting to call you Reverend Dr. Joe, but uh, Dr. Joe Hartman from uh, Georgetown University, he is no stranger to this pulpit or this church. Uh, Joe has preached for us and delivered the word of God here so many times, and we are so grateful for him and his ministry to this church. He even uh, did our education and formation uh, for years, uh, even before I got here. We're so indebted and grateful to, to Joe for all of his, his insight to God's word. And now we want to welcome you, uh, Dr. Hartman, to this pulpit. Thank you so much for being here. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's really good to be here with you. Um, some of you may know Melanie and I have been living out in Fairfax in sort of what I would call temporary housing for about the last year, and we've been uh, regulars at the 8.30 service. So I know there's a lot of faces I haven't seen in a while. I think we're going to be back at 10.30 now. Um, we're back in Alexandria. We're excited about that. So anyway, it's good to be here with you. Um, so we've been in this sermon series for several weeks on simple gifts, and so far we've talked about the gift of sleep, not sure I have that one. The gift of creation, and then the gift of words last week. And as Robbie mentioned today, I'll be talking about the gift of work, or uh, as I'd like to discuss it, um, the gift of vocation. So work, we'll start there, occupies an ever-increasing ever part of our lives. Um, and technology, it seems, far from reducing or relieving our workplace stress, certainly seems to be adding to it. Currently in the US, 86% of American men and 67% of women report working more than 40 hours a week with an average at 47 hours per week, which if you're working five days a week is about nine and a half hours a day. And of course, many say they work 50 hours or more. I'm guessing that's probably quite true of many here. Americans as a whole work 137 more hours a year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours than the Brits, and a whopping 500 more hours than French workers, which, yeah, I don't know what they're doing in France, um, other than being really hot. Um, according to Forbes magazine, the average business professional has between 30 and 100 projects on their plate. Modern workers are interrupted seven times an hour on average and find themselves distracted around a little over two hours a day. Four out of 10 people working at large companies report that their companies are in the midst of some form of restructuring, which just adds to stress um, and gives them uncertainty about their futures. Perhaps that's why 40% of adults report lying awake at night, worrying about stress at work. And I might include myself in that number. So the American Psychological Association finds that stress at work is the third most common source of stress at 61% of respondents that comes just behind worry about, quote, the future of our nation and worry about money. So we're working more really than at any point in our lifetimes and we're more stressed about it. That much seems clear and it seems clear that stress gets wor worse year by year. So I wanna suggest that that may have at least something to do with the fact that we're just starting from the wrong place. We seem to be getting something basically wrong about work. So what I'm going to try to do today is talk a little bit about the Christian concept of work, or as I'll get to, the concept of vocation, and try to answer three questions. What is work? Why do we work? 
and how should we work? As I said, to answer these questions, I'd like to talk about vocation. I'm sure it's a term we hear in one sense or another. Uh, I'm going to talk about it in terms that Martin Luther, the great reformer, did. Of course, Luther was the Augustinian monk who essentially kind of founded or kicked off the Reformation when he nailed his 95 theses, challenging various clerical practices of his time to the door at All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, back in 1517, so a little over 500 years ago. Now, he challenged a lot, but one of the things he challenged was the notion uh, that only clerical or church-based vocations actually mattered to God. This was the idea that the priests and the nuns were doing the real work and the rest of us were sort of putting in our time. And you might call this the notion of occupation, which if you think of occupation, we use it to describe what we do. Occupation is literally a way of spending your time. And Luther responded to this notion of occupation with the concept of vocation, which he defined as the teaching that our work, our family relationships, our church, our citizenship are all callings from God. They are the realms in which we live out our Christian faith as we love and serve our neighbors. And here's Luther. There is no true basic difference between laymen and priests, princes and bishops, between religious and secular, except for the sake of office and work, but not for the sake of status. They are all of the spiritual estate. All are truly priests, bishops, and popes but they do not all have the same work to do. A cobbler, a smith, a peasant, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. Further, everyone must benefit and serve others by means of his own work or office, so that in this way, many kinds of work may be done for the bodily and spiritual welfare of the community, just as all members of the body serve one another. So from the vocation perspective, Really, all of life is work, and work is God's means of carrying out his purposes in the world. So I'll gently suggest if you're eagerly anticipating retirement, you might be in the wrong faith tradition. Those with vocations and not occupations don't retire. Relatedly, your profession is not your identity. So if I were to be honest, um, and not sure I'd actually do this, but the next time I'm at some gathering, a dinner party, and ask, you know, what do you do? Of course, the answer I would give is, oh, well, I'm a university professor. But from the vocation perspective, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is, well, I'm a Christian called to serve my students, my fellow faculty members, and my university through teaching, advising, and all the administrative tasks I have to do. I serve my family by assisting in provision of financial support for our life, and I serve my community through participating in our common life together. From this perspective, from the vocational perspective, my profession isn't my identity. It becomes a means of carrying out my identity. So that answer of what work is a vocation also gives us an answer to the question, why do we work? So, as, uh, as I've mentioned, I'm, I'm a professor. One of the questions I hear most from my students, and this is primarily the students who are taking constitutional law, which is one of the courses I teach, um, and they're, they're interested in law. They wanna know about a career in law. Um, I spent 10 years as a litigator, so I feel like I know something about that. And they wanna ask me, invariably, what about work-life balance? 
They want to know if work-life balance is possible for young lawyers. Really, they should be asking if it's possible for any lawyers. Um, and they don't like my answer, which is usually no, it's not. Um, but that question, and indeed the whole notion, the whole frame of work-life balance, it's something we all ask, or we, many of us ask. I think it gets at something deeper regarding this kind of erroneous conception of work. Because the very notion of work-life balance is predicated on the notion of work as occupation and not vocation. So when we misunderstand the what of work, then we start misunderstanding the why. And if you think about a couple of kind of common things people say, common tropes. Some say I live to work, and others say I work to live. We've talked a little bit about the former error. This is, you know, my work defines me. I want to make my mark with my career. My profession empowers me. I'm truly living when I'm working. It's kind of the classic workaholic. I'm sure many of us can relate. The latter error views work as a necessary evil. It's a kind of drudgery that we endure for the sake of other things. We balance the, the drudgery of work against our real life. We're truly living when we're not working. Now, obviously, these are diametrically opposed errors, but I think what they both have in common is they're all about what I get out of work, either my identity or means of providing resources for my real life. But again, vocationally, your work really has nothing to do with you and everything to do with others. Here's Luther again. If you find yourself in a work by which you accomplish something good for God or the holy or yourself, but not for your neighbor, then you should know that work is not a good work. For each one ought to live, speak, act, hear, suffer, and die in love and service for another, even for one's enemies, a husband for his wife and children, a wife for her husband, children for their parents, servants for their masters, masters for their servants, rulers for their subjects, and subjects for their rulers, so that one's hand, mouth, eye, foot, heart, and desire is for others. These are Christian works, good in nature. So if we approach work from this Lutheran vocational perspective, our work isn't about us, our job title doesn't define us, and it's not to finance an enjoyable personal life. It really is about doing the work God has given us to do to serve him and serve others. You don't work for yourself, you work for others. So on the last day of class every semester, sort of the wrap up, I ask my students, I should actually do this here, how many people have been told to find your passion? Yeah. How about find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life? Who's heard that one? Yeah. And most people raise their hands. I then tell my students, I'll tell you, this is terrible advice. For my students, they're, you know, they're, they're Georgetown students. They're smart kids. They can do a lot. It places incredible anxiety to say, of all the things you're good at, find the one. Find your passion. I think even for the rest of us, well into our careers, you know, after the initial excitement of, oh, you know, I'm a newly minted lawyer, I'm a newly minted professor. After that excitement wears off and you sort of get into the daily routine, you think, eh, maybe this isn't my passion. Maybe I should have chosen something else. Maybe I should change. Now, full disclosure, I did that. I went from law to academia. So I have some experience and I certainly understand the sentiment. But I think the genius of the notion of vocation is that it almost doesn't matter. I don't want to say it doesn't at all. I'm not sure it matters a lot because the Christian notion isn't find your passion. To use another trope, it's grow where you're planted. And interestingly, and this is the sort of coda of encouragement I give to my students, it turns out that if you invest your time and, and yourself into something, it often turns out to be a kind of passion anyhow. 
You know, Christ instructed us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You invest the treasure of your time and your talent, you may find that your heart's there anyway. So if we know what work is, and we have a sense of why we do it, the question remains, how should we work? And I think the terms I want to emphasize here are faithfulness and responsibility. And if you take a look, it's on page four of your service leaflet. There's this passage from Matthew. I just want to look at the very end. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So you have some sense of what this person's doing. They're, they're some kind of um, you know, household caretaker, but I'm not sure what he does, the work he's doing is as important as how he does it. You see, our character is shaped through the faithful, responsible carrying out of our God-given vocations. And the way I like to think about this is in terms of owners and employees. So just from an economic perspective, I mean, most of us are or have been at one point or another employees. If you think of yourself as an employee, it's only rational. You're selling your labor. The idea is essentially you want to get the highest price possible for the lowest effort. It's a cost-benefit analysis. It's entirely rational. But the consequence of this rational behavior is an employee's never fully invested in the company. At some point, you can leave the office, go home, and I know with smartphones, this is less so than it used to be, but you can kind of put it aside, shut it down. Owners, by contrast, are fully invested. They can't really completely detach from their work. As many of you may know, my wife owns a dental practice. She started out as an employee, and she's been an owner for a few years now. And once she became an owner, one of the things we discovered is that it's not at all uncommon, probably at least a couple days a week, if not more, to find the two of us working at home well past business hours on some payroll question or a financial issue or an employment issue, even sometimes patient matters. It's in the nature of ownership to have a kind of, I mean, a little strong to say infinite, but like an infinite responsibility. You never get to shut it down. And in a sense, I think that's what the vocational view of work is. If God's the owner, as we see here in Matthew, and that's the metaphor, we're his stewards. We're entrusted with a kind of ownership. We carry out God's purposes as if they were our own. So as Christians who identify with Christ, our Lord, I'd suggest it helps to think of ourselves as owners with all of that responsibility as it entails and not as employees who can kind of shut it down. So, three questions. What is work? It's God's means of carrying out his purposes in the world through us. Why do we work? To love and serve God and others. How do we work? Again, our work doesn't define us, but how we do it does. Our character is shaped through the responsible and faithful pursuit of our God-given vocations. Now, I've just laid this sort of <laughs> heavy burden of responsibility on all of us. Let me alleviate it somewhat and I'll do this through the words of Reinhold Niebuhr, who's one of my favorite theologians. He's a 20th century Protestant theologian. Um, most of his work around the mid-century. And he wrote a book called The Children of Light and the Children of Darkness. It was published in 1944, really written when the outcome of World War II is very much in doubt. Nazism is spreading over Europe. This is what he writes. The hope of Christian faith 
that the divine power which bears history can complete what even the highest human striving must leave incomplete and can purify the corruptions which appear in even the purest human aspirations is an indispensable prerequisite for diligent fulfillment of our historic tasks. Without hope, we are driven to alternate moods of sentimentality and despair, trusting human powers too much in one moment and losing all faith in the meaning of life when we discover the limits of human possibility. What's he getting at? He's saying we do bear enormous responsibility, but at the same time, we're freed from worrying about the consequences, about the success or failure, because that's up to God. That's not up to us. Our task isn't to ensure that everything, the outcome is exactly what we want. Our task is to carry out the vocations given to us with an attitude of faithfulness and responsibility, and then trust God. So later in the service, after the baptism, we're going to participate in the Eucharist, which I think for many is the highlight of the service in the Anglican tradition. And of course, I'm sure for those of us with experience, um, different elements of the service can grab us at different moments. But for me, I've always found special significance in the post-communion prayer. It's the last thing we say. And it strikes me as capturing in a few short words, a kind of commission for us as believers, leaving this place with a vocational concept of what it means to work. I'll close with it in hopes that it may have some significance for you as well. Now, Father, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen.